You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, today I'm coming to you live from a friend's home in Mammoth Lakes, California. Everything's been the same for a few weeks, and so I thought that maybe I would uh, preach in a different context and a different location. And so I want to thank our tech team for making this possible. I also want to just thank our staff for continuing to work really hard and minister uh, throughout our church. It's been a Uh, an exciting time to do a lot of what God wants us doing at this time. And we're so glad to be able to do online church as we continue to have people watch all over the world, church online, and even have people who have been former Sun Grove people come back to Sun Grove because they now live in other locations or they're traveling. And we're so excited about things like that. A couple weeks ago, you might not have been able to tell, but uh, I can tell. I flew off my bicycle and I broke my elbow. I fractured it. And I didn't fracture it bad enough to require a cast, um, but it had a lot of pain. If you watched the sermon a couple of weeks ago, you would have just seen my arm not move more than about like this. And now I can move it more fully, but it began my thinking that has led to today's sermon. We've been looking at the life of Stephen in the book of Acts. Last week, we watched how Stephen was arrested and he was brought before the Sanhedrin to be tried. Uh, When I broke my elbow, it made me think of like unexpected transitions. Unexpected transitions would be things like COVID. None of us saw it. None of us expected it. Uh, Unexpected transitions would be things like rain or unexpected transitions would be an injury or an illness. In my case, it was an injury to my arm and it slowed down what I was normally able to do. And I believe that God wants us to hear from him in the transitions I believe that God wants us to hear from him and what he wants to teach us in times of transition. And for the early church, this is a time of transition. Uh, Normally, we rush through transitions. I don't know about you, but as an Enneagram 3, I want to race. When I'm driving, I want to beat the other cars. I want to get there in as fast a time as possible. Slowing down to travel is difficult for me. And I want to kind of race. And so when my kids were growing up, they just kind of learned that bathroom breaks were, were only when it was the most desperate of situations, uh, much of their chagrin. And people would say, well, why is a bathroom stop such a big deal? Well, it's because all the cars you passed, pass you. And then you have to pass them again because a journey like that in a car, it's a race if you're an Enneagram 3. We race through transitions. We don't slow down to listen to what God would have us hear in those times. And here's what happens when you and I race through transitions. When we race through them, our soul can't catch up. It can't. It struggles. And here's why you need this sermon. You and I, we race through our transitions and our soul pays the cost. It was just this year when we traveled to India that on my fourth trip to India for the first time, instead of racing there and doing the mission trip and then racing back home to the church, I actually gave myself permission to join our team as we spent a day at the Taj Mahal. I mean, we've seen the worst of India. We might as well actually see some of the best and just gave myself a transition to not just go from mission trip right back to work. And I just noticed for myself that my spirit was different. My soul had a time to transfer from the poverty we had seen and actually transition to spending a day at the Taj Mahal, spending a day in Dubai at uh, the Burj Khalifa and some other areas, just doing some tourism and then come back home. And I just watched the difference in how I reacclimated to work. 
my soul had some time to catch up. Why? Because I didn't race through a transition. But the early church is in a transition and you and I race through our transitions and our soul pays the cost. The early church is having to answer the question of the soul, what happens after death? And in the early church right now, we are at the place where Stephen's been arrested. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. They've brought a bunch of false charges against him and they begin to ask, are these charges in fact true? And so if you have your Bible, open with me to Acts chapter seven, beginning with verse one. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Early on in the life of Abraham, when God begins to interact with people in a unique way, God calls Abraham to go, to leave where he is, to have a transition in his life and go to the land where God would show him. Did he see it at first? No, he was told to go before he could see it. And Stephen goes all the way back in the history of the church and he begins to talk with these Sanhedrin who know the history of the Israel people full well. And he goes all the way back to Abraham and he begins to plot his case as he talks before these Sanhedrin in a courtroom setting. I want you to write something down. When transitions happen, we find this to be often true, that God grows us through rejection before acceptance. That oftentimes rejection is the pivot point for transition. And God will grow us in the time of rejection before he brings us to a time of acceptance. And in this situation, Abraham would have to leave his people, leave all these things. He'd have to leave and go somewhere else. He's not been accepted in a new place yet. He's only at the point where he's gonna actually leave. And so Stephen begins to walk through the rejection and the acceptance of Israel's history. He gives a case of Abraham obeying God and leaving. Then he goes on and he talks about Joseph, that Joseph was rejected by his own family, that he was sold into slavery, that he spent years in jail being rejected. And finally, his gifts were acknowledged and God began to elevate him into leadership till the point where he was second in authority in all of Egypt. Well, his leadership helped out so that when a famine struck the land of Canaan, his own family came to the land of Egypt to buy food and he provided food for them and showed himself to them and was accepted as a family. Once again, it was part of God's blessing. Moses later ran away after failure. He killed a guy. And afterwards he was afraid. He ran away for 40 years. And it was there that God met him and told him to go back to his people and that God was gonna use him to free the Israelite people from slavery. And so Moses is rejected and then accepted by God and brought back into the position of leadership. What pattern are you seeing in this history lesson that Stephen begins to give the Sanhedrin? Rejection seems to be a tough transition, but later gives opportunity for acceptance. What might this mean for your situation today? Are you ready to give up? Are you so ready right now? You just can't wait like to race into the next transition. Like you're so fed up with all this COVID stuff. You're so fed up with your circumstances. You're so fed up with your relational status, whatever it is that you're ready to just race into the next transition. Well, maybe you're bypassing what God wants to do in your life and the lessons he wants to teach you. You, want, you might miss what he's wanting to do in your heart. You might miss what God's wanting to do in your life. 
And later God would give opportunity for you and for me for acceptance in a whole new way. But we have to slow down and learn the lessons in transition. When people are given the will of God, like Abraham was told to go, if they reject it, what are the consequences? What would happen if Abraham had never gone? What would happen if Joseph had never looked to the Lord in his time of transition? Well, there's a couple of things. What are the consequences if that if you reject the will of God? Well, if you're a non-Christian person, that equals that you're lost. If you're told that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one goes to the Father but through him, and you continue to reject that, you're lost. But what about the Christian? What about a person who says, oh, I do believe in Jesus? But when you're given the will of God, if you reject it, if you're racing ahead of God, if you're running into, through transition to your next situation, well, it doesn't mean you're lost, but it does mean you and I experience loss. That we experience loss. And often we are so uncomfortable. I see it all the time right now. We are so uncomfortable with the ambiguity that we race ahead of God. People right now, they're like, I don't know when everything's gonna get back to normal, but they just wanna race ahead to God. They don't know what the transition is, what it's all gonna look like. They just want it to look like something and they're willing to almost sabotage or run ahead of God to get to a place where they feel less ambiguity. Well, what's the danger? What's the consequence if we run ahead of God? If we do it at that point, it would be loss. We'd experience loss. And sometimes that means that you might decide, God, I don't like the ambiguity. I'm gonna run away from you. Well, what do people turn to instead of God in their transition times when they feel ambiguity, when they feel hurt, when they feel pain in their life? Well, oftentimes it's three things. First of all, people run to an evil world. They say, I've been trying to be good and I haven't been that great, but I'm trying to be good. And so they run to an evil world. Sometimes people run to a pretty world. Like if I could just escape to the mountains, if I could just have a summer home or a vacation place, if I could just escape from all of life, they want to run to a pretty world. Or the third thing is that they want to run to idolatry. And there's no shortage of idolatry. Depending on whatever your situation is, there is no shortage of idolatry that's out there. When you and I rush through transitions, we run the danger of missing out on God's processes and we miss out on the opportunity for God to help work and train and teach our souls, right? Our soul cries out when you and I rush through transitions and it cannot catch up. So what do we do? We try to fill that void with unfulfilling substitutes. Well, how can you tell? How can you tell where you're standing today if in fact your soul is behind? How can you tell if your soul is rushed? How can you tell if that's happening? Well, you can tell the easiest way is this. When the offended you is taking control. When the offended you is winning. So let me ask, are you easily offended right now? Are you so involved with yourself and so on edge that it's very, very easy for you to get offended? If that's the case, then I would suggest to you that your soul has had some trouble catching up through the transition that it is winning. So we have to ask the question, is it easier to follow God by faith or by sight? It's a trick question really, because faith requires not seeing. It's not faith if you can see it. And so of course, which makes your soul core more alive? Is it being able to see it and then watch it fulfilled? No, that doesn't make your soul come alive. What makes your soul come alive 
is having to trust God in the transition. Faith does that. And there are people all the time right now, you and me, we are waiting to see what the government will do. We're waiting to see what the economy will do. We're waiting to see what the church will be allowed to do. We're waiting to see all these things. And the truth is God's saying, will you slow down and will you allow me to talk to you in this time of transition? Well, Stephen continues his history lesson for the Sanhedrin. He goes all the way through Joshua, leading the people into the promised land. He goes to David, who established a place where God's temple would be built. And he wanted to build it. David wanted to see it. But the truth is, his son Solomon was the one chosen by God to actually build it. There was a longer transition than even David was comfortable with. And then he says this to the Sanhedrin, Stephen does in Acts 7, 48. He said, however, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me? Says the Lord, or where where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Well, I want you to understand something that the church is me. It's not our building. It's all of us. It's you and me together. We are the church not our building. Well, let me ask you during this time, where and what does God want to build? What does God want to transform? To change us in the times of transition, what kind of things does he want to do? He wants to create his home in you and in me. He wants us to do the work of the church where we are, not just simply assembling and gathering only at a building. We can gather online, but he wants us to all be the church right where we are. He has made you. He wants your soul to rest in his presence. He wants you to be the church everywhere you go. So during a transition time, where is God placing you to be the church? Think about it for a moment. Even right now, where is God placing you to actually be the church? Not just attend church, not just be a fan of church, not just get all that you can out of church and seeing one another. We long to see each other, we do. But where is God planning you right now to be his church? You are his temple. You are the creation of his hands. You are his resting place right now. But oftentimes when there's ambiguity, we want to run past and run through those times of resting. So to whom is God asking you to reach out and share, watch, or witness to? See, while you and I, while we're waiting to see, God is calling you and I to be his church. Salvation is less about making a proclamation of faith and more about making faith our proclamation. And this would be the kind of time that you and I make faith where we can't see our proclamation, that our life is a proclamation of faith. Well, who is really on trial? As we're looking here, the Sanhedrin are holding Stephen and they're putting him on trial. But we find that the tables turn here a little bit. And the question for you and for me is who is really on trial? that those who should have accepted Christ but have rejected him are the ones on trial. The Sanhedrin, those who should have recognized Jesus as the Messiah, those who should have recognized that this was the long-awaited Messiah but instead have killed him. And so Stephen says this in Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who, project, or who predicted the coming of the righteous one 
and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. It's interesting because the self-led life is what is at stake when we rush. When we rush, we stop being God-led and we start saying, you know what? I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to be self-led. And so what happens is the self-life takes over. And what was happening for the Sanhedrin is that they should have seen that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were so tied into their power. They were so tied into their religious authority. They were so tied into their beliefs and their leadership over people that they couldn't see Jesus being the Messiah because it offended themselves and their position. And so they rejected him. And what happens when you and I try to lead our life by what we see or what we can see, we kind of lose our need for God. We become self-led. And I want you to know that people leading life just living for themselves is not just for non-Christian people, that there's actually a religious version of a self-led life. You remember the story of the prodigal son, that it wasn't the prodigal son, but the brother of the prodigal who refused once the son had come back to go into the party. And the father comes out and, and pleads, pleads with this son, would you please Come in and enjoy the party. Would you please come in and celebrate what I am doing? Well, the father in the story is representative of God. The older brother is representative of the religious version of the self-led life. They will refuse to go in. They will refuse to participate with God is doing. They will refuse to see and hear. And that's what Stephen is calling the Sanhedrin out on. So he's saying, I'm not on trial you're on trial. And that's what's happening in that moment. Well, how did the Jewish leaders react to the Stephen sermon? Well, they're easily offended and they're willing to attack. And let me just say for you and me, when you begin to lead a self-led life, you become easily offended. You become willing to attack. That's what happens when you and I lead a self-led life. So how would we react in this climate our culture is in? I'll ask you this question. Is the offended you winning right now? Are you watching your life and are you watching how you're operating? And are you finding that you're so easily offended that the offended you is the one who's actually winning? Not the submitted, surrendered life to the Lord Jesus, but that the offended you is actually the one winning. Well, the verdict is in. The Sanhedrin say, we're gonna kill Steve and they drag him out, they stone him to death. But God does something unique here. God overrules the verdict of the court that Jesus stands to receive Stephen. 
And what does Jesus normally do? And Jesus had hung on the cross. He'd been be- dead, buried, rose to new life. He's on earth for 40 days. He ascends up into heaven. And what does he do when he gets to heaven? What does Jesus normally do? He sits at the right hand of God, the father. Hebrews 1, 3 tells us this. The son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So I want you to take note. Jesus normally is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. But I want you to note here what Stephen sees is that Jesus is standing to receive him. That Jesus has signaled that his court has overruled the earthly court. That he is welcoming Stephen into heaven. That his transition is about to happen, that there's a transition unexpected in Stephen's life, that he is gonna move from being part of the early church to being the heavenly church in heaven with Jesus. And what does he do? How does Stephen respond to this new unexpected transition? Well, I think it's amazing that he's a lot like Jesus. He realizes this is it. And then he says, Father, forgive them for what they're doing. Well, where did Stephen learn that? There's only one place he learned that. He learned that by watching Jesus on the cross, that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What does he do? He's saying, instead of being a self-led life, oh, please, and beg for his life, he says the exact same thing as Jesus. I wanna do the will of the Father, and I wanna ask that God would forgive them. It's a new beginning. He moves from death into new life. So if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. Prepare for the final transition. We've been talking all day about your soul catching up, that transitions are happening and are you allowing your soul to catch up? I mean, in a day and age when, man, we can't stand still for five minutes at the grocery store without looking at our phone, are you slowing down enough to let the ministry of the word and time with God allow your soul to catch up? See, throughout history, unfortunately, mortal people have chosen to disobey and disbelieve and ignore God. And unfortunately for them, the results are always the same, that people cannot live forever, that they fail in their self-righteousness, they fail in their self-led life, and God will always prevail. And what happens to us? People race through transitions and their soul cannot catch up until they find that they lay their body down and all they have left is their soul. And if you've never taken care of the final transition for your soul, there's only one destination for you and it's not heaven. So prepare for the final transition. Why don't you let God take the lead in your life and walk you through the transitions that your soul needs right now to listen to him, to love him, to hear from him, to slow down and let your soul catch up right where you're at, including taking care of the final transition, your death and your entrance into heaven where Jesus will stand to welcome you. But the only way that that happens is if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, that he died for your sins, that he was buried, he rose to new life, but he offers to you the gift of salvation. And the way that you receive it is you simply just right where you are today, pray something like this after me to say, Jesus today, I give you me. You created all this that you see around me. And God, you also created me. And I wanna give you my soul. 
I want you to be my Lord and master. I acknowledge that you are God. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, to wash me as white as snow, to cleanse me. I ask you, God, to make me a new creation on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.